Hello everyone, and welcome to season three of the Night's End podcast. Thank you all for listening in. Whether you're a new listener or an avid devotee, I'm happy you are here. It brings me much joy to get these episodes right into your ear holes. And I hope you enjoy these fantastic stories written by some amazing writers. If you do enjoy their work, please check out their links in the description of each episode. And if you can, purchase some of their work. Support independent creators. A couple of things before we begin the episode. I'd like to welcome the newest patrons to the fold. Thank you, Lance Baudreau, for joining the Dollar Club. And thank you, Hunter, for joining as a Night's End family member, who I'll be working with to create a commissioned episode. And also a big thank you to all of my ongoing patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Your generosity really helps the sometimes seeming insurmountable task of creating this podcast worth it and keeps us ad-free. If you would like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com forward slash night's end podcast and join for as little as a dollar for access to exclusive episodes or for a little bit more exclusive merch and other rewards or join dissonance extra on Apple podcasts for access to exclusive episodes. Now I have a great season planned out and we'll follow Jimmy down another rabbit hole and meet some more interesting characters. If you haven't listened to the previous seasons, I recommend you go back and do that first. That way you can follow along in Jimmy's progress up until now. And you also wouldn't want to miss out on all the other great stories. Now sit back in a darkened room, put some headphones on, and try not to scream. And as always, stay horrific everyone. of extraction. Ah. You'll break eventually. I'll be back, sweetheart. Ah. My friend. It's great to see you been so long. I was starting to think something happened to you. What's that? Oh, him. Don't worry about that. Why don't we have ourselves a celebratory drink towards our fortuitous reunion? Come on. Yeah, that's been happening a bit lately. 
I'm constantly patching up the cells and fixing doors. Some of my subjects get free of their rooms and wander the halls. It has kept me busy. favor of you. The Black Four's integrity appears to be breached. How do I know? One of the perks of being the master of this place makes it as though it is part of you. You feel it all. That is why the realm with the pesky butler surprised me so much. I couldn't feel it. Thank you, friend. Let's go. Just over here. Look at this door. It's been completely shattered. The seal has been broken and moved. Where is that thing? Warren Benedetto. Narrated by Phoenix Fire. Ben's tires rumbled as his car drifted over the white line and onto the shoulder of the road. His Hyundai's lane departure warning beeped insistently, screaming at him to wake up. Ben's eyes snapped open. His foot jumped to the brake as he reflexively jerked the steering wheel to the left. Grit and gravel rattled against the underside of his car. The back tires fishtailed along the crumbling blacktop, momentarily threatening to send him into a spin before regaining traction and straightening out in the center of the lane. Ben glanced into his rearview mirror at the twin spirals of road dust swirling in its taillights. The smell of burnt rubber singed his nostrils. His heart pounded like a double kick drum in his chest. He shook his head and laughed nervously. When I said I wanted to die in my sleep, he thought, I meant in bed. Details, details, he mumbled. 
Ben poked at the touchscreen on the dashboard until the opening riffs of Master of Puppet by Metallica filled the car, courtesy of his recently compiled 80s rock playlist. He nudged the volume a little higher, then began drumming his fingers against the steering wheel in time with the music. He glanced in the rearview mirror again, this time examining the smooth curve of his bald pate. A swell of nostalgic sadness tightened his throat. His hairband days, and his hair, were long gone. Ben turned his attention back to the black stretch of asphalt racing under his headlights. The road was completely deserted, which is exactly why he liked it. It gave him plenty of time to think. There were no other cars, no houses, not even a street lamp. As Ben's car rounded a curve, his headlights illuminated a figure shambling along the side of the road in the distance. It was a girl, judging by the curve of her hips and the long black hair dangling down her back. She was of medium build and was wearing an oversized white t-shirt with a stretched neck that hung lopsided off one shoulder. A silver bracelet with a small heart charm dangled from her wrist under a tattoo of an angel that stretched up her forearm. Her bare legs were cross-hatched with fresh scratches, as if she had just stumbled out of the woods through a wall of thorns. What the hell? Ben wondered aloud. His foot drifted to the brake, slowing his car as it drew closer to the girl. He reached out and killed the music, leaving only the shushing sound of his tires on the blacktop to fill the silence. His eyes scanned the trees for a driveway, or a mailbox, or any sign of civilization that might indicate where the girl had come from. There was nothing. He hadn't passed any disabled vehicles either, at least not that he could remember. He supposed her car could have broken down somewhere up ahead, but then why would she be walking back in that direction on his side of the road? And why was she dressed, or undressed, like she was? It looked like she had just climbed out of bed by way of a briar patch. Ben's tires crunched in the gravel on the side of the road as he rolled up beside the girl. He lowered his passenger side window, leaning over from the driver's seat so he could see her better. Her teeth were chattering. No wonder, it was 40 degrees outside. She was definitely not dressed for the weather. Hell, she was barely dressed at all. Ben called to the girl through the open window. Hey, you okay? The girl stopped walking. She didn't respond. She didn't even look in Ben's direction. She just stood on the road, staring straight ahead into the distance. Ben brought his car to a stop and put it in park. He briefly considered shutting off the engine, then decided it would be safer if he kept it running. He opened the driver's side door and stepped out onto the road. The car warned him about the open door with a persistent... He closed the door, then walked around the hood of the car. The headlights threw his shadow far down the road as he crossed in front of them. Hey, Ben said again, waving his hand to get the girl's attention. Her eyes darted in his direction. Ben recoiled slightly. She was looking at him, but she didn't seem to be seeing him. Everything all right? No, the girl replied. Her voice was barely a whisper. Did something happen? Not yet. Not yet, Ben thought. What kind of answer is that? You 
got a name? He asked. Amy. Hi, Amy. I'm Ben. The girl just looked at him blankly. Ben blew warm air into his hands. Listen, it's freezing out here. Can I give you a ride somewhere? No, the girl said again. There was no concern in her voice, no sense of danger. Her response was simple, matter of fact. You sure? You're going to get sick dressed like that. Ben waited for an awkward moment to see if the girl would reply. She didn't. What are you doing out here anyway? Your car break down or... He trailed off. The girl didn't respond. All right, well, I'm going to go then. He took a step back toward the driver's side, then paused for a few seconds. Finally, he turned back to her. Look, I can't just leave you out here alone like this. It's not safe. I know. You're out here all by yourself? The girl shook her head no. Ben looked around, suddenly wary. There was nobody else in sight. Someone's coming for you? The girl nodded. Really? Who? The girl stared down the road past Ben. Them. Ben turned, expecting to see a car approaching. There was nothing. Just the yellow line blacktop disappearing into the darkness. He looked back at the girl, ready to ask what the hell she was talking about. She was gone. Hey, Ben blurted out. He came around the front of his car to the passenger side, thinking maybe she had passed out on the side of the road. She wasn't there. Where'd she go? He scanned the nearby woods. The tree line was too far, across an expanse of knee-high grass. She couldn't have gone that way. There was no sound, no movement. Amy? He half-jogged a few steps along the passenger side and around the back of the car. The girl was on her knees, crouched low behind the rear bumper. Exhaust swirled around her, lit up a hellish red by the glow of the taillight. Her hair hung over her face in damp robes. Breath steamed from her nose in short, rapid bursts. She looked up at Ben. Her eyes were wide with terror. Hide, she whispered. Ben ducked down behind the car with her. He could feel his pulse hammering in his ears. From what? The girl didn't answer. She peered around the edge of the trunk, then quickly drew back. Ben listened and waited. For about a minute, he started to feel foolish. There was nothing out there. The girl was just paranoid. She was probably strung out on meth, or crack, or both. Ben raised himself up until he could see through the rear window, looking straight through the car and onto the road in front. He could dimly make out the silhouette of a deer grazing on a spray of grass on the shoulder of the road. As if sensing Ben's gaze, the deer looked up at him, chewed lazily for a moment, then it bolted off into the woods. Ben gave an exasperated sigh and stood up. Look, this is ridiculous. Do you want to ride or not? Last chance. The girl stood and stepped out from behind the car. No, she replied. They're coming for me. Ben threw up his hands into feet and started walking back to the driver's side, mumbling to himself. And for you too, she added. Ben stopped. 
He walked back toward the girl, his eye narrowing. What did you say? The girl looked at him, through him it seemed. They know. Her words sent a shot of adrenaline through Ben's body. He masked his alarm with an air of casual dismay. Oh yeah? What do they know? Everything. The girl started laughing. It was a broken sound, joyless, like shards of glass in a shaken jar. She covered her mouth with her hand. The silver bracelet slid down from her wrist to her forearm, the heart pendant glimmering red in the reflected glow of the taillights. Ben felt a familiar anger surge within him. She was laughing at him. Fucking bitch. She was just like all the others. She had no idea who she was dealing with, what he was capable of, what he had done. A dull rage thudded behind his eyes. He took a threatening step towards her. Something funny? The girl shook her head. She was still laughing, though. She clamped her hand even tighter over her mouth. Her other arm clutched her midsection. Tears streamed from her eyes, tracing fresh tracks through her smeared mascara. Ben grabbed her wrist and pulled her hand away from her face. The girl's teeth were slick with blood and saliva, as if she had been punched in the mouth. Glistening strings of bloody drool stretched between her lips and dribbled down her chin. She laughed even harder. There was something else in her laugh. Underneath, a gurgling liquid sound. Flummy, the sound of pneumonia, of fluids pooled in lungs, of drowning from the inside. She's not just high, Ben thought. She's fucking nuts. He pushed the girl away and let go of her wrist. She stumbled backward. Her laughter trailed off. She looked down at her arm, then up at Ben, still smiling that grotesque, blood-smeared smile. It's time, she said. Ben ignored her. He cursed under his breath. It was all fucked up now. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. He was going to give her a ride, get her someplace warm, someplace comfortable or into his car at least, then take it from there. Now what? Now he just had to get it over with. She ran in front of his car. That's what he'd tell them. It was an accident. A terrible, terrible accident. Ben looked down at the girl's body sprawled on the side of the road. Angry purple-black bruises stained the pale flesh of her neck, bruises that were clearly caused by fingers. His fingers. God damn it, he cursed to himself. How could he let this happen again? Who was he kidding? Nobody would believe it was an accident. His car was undamaged. The road behind it was unspoiled. There were no skid marks, no streaks of burnt rubber, no indication that he'd braked or swerved at all. No, he had to do something. He had to get rid of her body. Circling behind the girl, Ben slid his hands under her armpits and lifted. Her head flopped backward, her dark hair trailing along the ground as he dragged her limp form through the tall grass and into the woods. 
He lowered her to the ground behind the trunk of a large fallen tree. She stared sightlessly at the forest canopy above. Dirt and dried leaves clung to her hair. One arm was splayed at her side. The other was draped across her stomach. Ben looked out toward the road. He could barely see his car. Perfect. The spot would be well concealed from the road. He knelt on the carpet of wet leaves next to the body and plunged his fingers into the dirt. The ground was soft and damp with a dark, earthy smell that reminded him of the compost at his grandfather's farm. He began scooping double handfuls of leaves and soil onto the body, covering it with a thick layer of debris. He would bury it as best as he could, then let nature do the rest. That's when the girl moved. Jesus! Ben exclaimed. He scrambled backward, his elbow slamming into the fallen tree behind him. A chunk of rotten bark sloughed off, revealing a squirming, writhing mass of insects. Pillbugs and springtails and millipedes tumbled over each other, dropping onto the forest floor and seeking refuge in the shadows under the log. A giant centipede with dozens of pointed legs scrambled up and over the tree, disappearing to the other side. Ben eyed the girl's body warily for a moment before realizing what happened. The arm that had been draped across her stomach had slid off onto the ground. It was just gravity. No big deal. Ben shook his head, embarrassed by his skittishness. As he crawled back over to the body, he noticed the girl's wrist, the one with the angel tattoo and the silver bracelet. Pinching the clasp, he removed the bracelet and weighed it in his palm. It was nice real silver from the looks of it. He turned the little heart charm over with his fingers. There was a name etched in it. Jessica. Ben furrowed his brow. Jessica? Hasn't she said her name was Amy? He rolled his eyes skyward, then looked back towards the road, trying to mentally rewind their conversation. Yeah, it was Amy. She definitely said Amy. Before he could fully process what the disparity could mean, something else drew his attention. The body was moving again. The girl's head rolled in Ben's direction, as if to look at him. Her eyes were still open. Suddenly, her back violently arched, then fell, then arched again. The t-shirt over her belly began to ripple in a circular, undulating motion. Her mouth open, sending a torrent of bright red blood cascading down the sides of her face. Her tongue emerged from between her lips, reaching out in Ben's direction. No, that's not her tongue, Ben realized with mounting dread. It's, it's a fucking worm. He watched in mute horror as an enormous roundworm began to expel itself from the girl's mouth. It was slick and tubular, as thick as his wrist and was encased in a mucousy brownish red membrane, the color of raw liver. At the end of its body was a gaping maw filled with concentric circles of pen-sharp, razor-edged barbs, all of them pointing inward towards a hungry, pulsing mouth. More rows of tooth-like ridges descended into its throat. The worm twisted and writhed as it emerged, coiling itself on the ground next to the girl's head in a puddle of blood-tinged slime. It was hard to gauge its full length, but it had to be 10 feet long, maybe 12, maybe more, and still, it kept humming. Finally, its tail end slipped out. 
Before Ben could fully comprehend what was happening, the worm lunged at him, launching itself straight into his midsection. He tried to dodge away, but the worm was too quick. It plunged into the soft tissue under his ribcage, its razor teeth easily shredding and spiraling their way through his shirt and into his body cavity. Ben screamed. He began pounding at the worm with his fists, but it had no effect. He tried to pull it out, but his hands just slipped uselessly down the length of its huge, slicked form. The worm whipped and thrashed as it burrowed into Ben's torso, corkscrewing past his organs until it reached his spine. From somewhere deep inside its length, it extruded a needle-thin proboscis and injected it into Ben's spinal cord, running it upward into his skull. From there, the probe branched into thousands of individual filaments that burrowed themselves deep into the crevices and folds of Ben's brain. Suddenly, Ben's mind was flooded with a bright white surge of consciousness, a new form of hyper-awareness unlike anything he had ever experienced before. He knew what the worm knew, what they all knew. There were millions of them, physically distinct but genetically identical. All of them networked together at a quantum level to form a single superorganism with a shared universal consciousness. Every worm was connected to every other, through space and time, from host to host, across the globe. Each worm's nervous system intertwined with that of its host, siphoning the host's memories, filtering them, devouring them, digesting them. It didn't feed on just any memories, though. The worms had no use for fond memories, no first words, or first steps, or first kisses. Those were worthless. What the worms wanted, what they needed, what they thrived on, was pain. That was their nourishment, the deep, nutrient-rich marrow that sustained them. First, they fed on whatever painful memories were already there. Then, they made more. They drove their hosts to ever more horrible extremes, manipulating them like puppets to create new memories upon which to feed. Memories of tortures, murders, and worse, until the hosts' minds deteriorated from the strain. The hosts would begin to hallucinate, haunted by ghosts, plagued by demons. They would become paranoid, reckless, suicidal, insane, just like Amy had been. As the worms injected its tendrils into Ben's brain, all the pain consumed by the worms over millennia flashed past his eyes in an endless stream of horrors. He saw warlords and murderers, rapists and kidnappers, politicians and businessmen. He saw them arm themselves with their weapons of war, their guns, their bombs, their checkbooks. He saw brothels and boardrooms, slaughterhouses and sacristies, the bullpen and the resolute. He saw nooses hung, bodies dragged, cities aflame. He saw a heavy-set girl with blonde hair and a round face, her eyes distorted behind thick glasses in a pink frame. He saw her lured into the woods behind her apartment by a girl she thought was her friend. This way, Jessica, he heard a familiar voice say. It's back here. He saw Jessica's smile turn to laughter. Her laughter turned to shock. Her shock turned to terror. He saw a knife plunge into her chest, her side, her neck. He saw her pleading, 
He saw her lifeless body rolled into a shallow grave, already dug, her arms flopping limply over her mangled chest. He saw the silver bracelet with the heart pinned on her wrist, the one bearing her name, Jessica. He saw it being unclasped, then reclasped on a new arm beneath an angel tattoo. He saw Amy admiring the bracelet on her wrist as it glinted in the sunlight. He saw her smile. He saw himself looking into the rearview mirror. He blinked, then rubbed his hand over his face. He was in his car, parked in his garage, at home. The ignition was off. The engine was cool. The garage door was closed. What had he done last night? Where had he been? He couldn't remember. His head was pounding. His back felt like someone had shoved a red-hot wire up his spine. There was a dull ache in his side, just under his ribs. Like that time in high school when he had been nailed with a fastball at baseball practice. He looked at the clock on the wall of the garage. It was 6.15 a.m. Shit! His wife and kids would be awake any minute. He didn't have much time. Time for what? He didn't know. But whatever it was, it was urgent. He had to hurry. As if on autopilot, Ben climbed out of the car, picked up a can of gasoline from the floor near the lawnmower, then grabbed a box of matches from the shelf by the grill. Entering the house, he splashed the gasoline around the living room, through the kitchen, and down the hall outside the bedrooms where his wife and children were asleep. Then, he struck a match. The gas ignited with a flare of light and heat that sent him stumbling back on his heels. The flames raced along the hallway, blackening the walls and filling the air with noxious smoke. Ben tried to call out, but he couldn't make a sound. He was frozen in place, mute, paralyzed, unable to move. The only thing he could do was watch and listen. Screams rose inside each of the bedrooms. Screams of panic, then terror, then pain. The sound seared itself into Ben's memory. And the worm began to feed. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Feed the Worm was written by Warren Benedetto. For more short horror and sci-fi stories, visit Warren's website at warrenbenedetto.com or follow him on Twitter at Warren Benedetto. This episode was narrated by Phoenix Fire. For more narrations by Phoenix Fire, head over to youtube.com forward slash Phoenix Fire Narrations. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. 
This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more people. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>